In the first two episodes of this series, we learned how to build a VPC with public and private subnets. We did a deep dive on NAT, or network address translation, and then set up a software-only VPN for secure access to the private subnets. Now, it's time to put everything together and earn our cloud networking black belt. This week on MobyCast, John and Chris conclude their three-part series on how to incorporate private subnets for your cloud network. We finish by explaining step-by-step how to move an existing ECS application onto our new private subnets. Now, go build, Ninja. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. Good to have you back. Here we are for part three of our VPC Ninja series. I don't know about you, Chris, but I feel like you know going through this VPC stuff with you, I've I've learned quite a bit. Yes, maybe not a black belt yet, but hopefully feeling feeling like a ninja. <laughs> right on. Yeah, um, I think again we'll probably since this is part three of a series, and this is you know hopefully people have been binge listening. Um, we'll skip with the pleasantries. We'll just move right into sort of a, maybe if you could give a recap just to, for those people that haven't been binge listening. And, and you can press the skip intro button on your podcast app if you don't want to hear the recap. Oh, they don't have that yet. <laughs> Go this ahead is, and give us is, the recap. This is not Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Yeah, so um, recap. So previous two episodes, we covered... Public versus private subnets. So we talked about like, okay, what are private subnets versus public and why we should care about them. We talked about NAT, network address translation. We had a deep dive on that and just really understanding like how does that work? How do you which and NAT gives rise to the ability to have these private resources and their own private dedicated networks. And then we talked about how you go about um, connecting to these private resources and there's Various different techniques, but we kind of settled on, hey, VPN is the way to go here because it's the most flexibility, most powerful at the the least amount of cost and and complexity to set up. So we talked about how to go set up a third-party software-only VPN for very little um, expense. And then we updated our VPC to have these private subnets. So after those two episodes, we now have a VPC that has public and private subnets. And and now we're set up so that we can have only our public-facing resources on those public subnets. Everything else is going to be going on those private subnets. Um, Again, as part of the just best practice, reducing the surface area that we have on our resources that are in 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 our cloud and then we have the secure access to these to these private subnets over VPN. So now we're ready to go ahead and move our, an existing application that's on public subnets onto the private subnets, so we can take advantage of this. Great, and yeah, you know, just thinking about our listeners, and one of the things that I think is fun about this episode is it's really a how-to, and so it's just kind of you know while you're driving or while you're walking, you can kind of just imagine with us the steps that we're going to go through to do. To do this work, to move an application into a private subnet, but it's also you know if you if you do this this way, you can feel pretty confident that you're doing things in a in a way that is going to be okay for your software. So you're going to have software in production, 
And you're following some best practices around keeping your data in places where you know bad actors can't get to it. It's just good stuff to know, and it's it's also just probably pleasant to listen to going through the how to of this uh, and and listening to us talk about each step, especially some of some of the whys on each step are are things that I think um, you know if you're leading, reading a quick tutorial or you're reading a quick AWS blog entry on a, you know, here's how to put something on a private subnet, you might miss out on some of this back and forth that you and I will have on on why we're doing each part. I think that's that's why we're doing it this way. Yeah. And you know, hopefully this is actually a pretty common use case, right? Like folks when they first start using the cloud, AWS or Azure, or Google or whatnot, you're gonna probably use like, okay, everything's around public subnets, right? And you're not gonna necessarily spin it up with completely best practices and have like the sophisticated deployment. So hopefully this is a pretty, pretty again, pretty common use case where like, hey, I'm using the cloud. I've got my stuff set up. I don't have, you know, private subnets. I don't have a VPN, but I kind of would like to to have that, right? And understand how to do it. So, hopefully that makes this that much more relevant and and hopefully useful for folks out there. Great. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Okay, let's dive in. Yeah, so let's let's just talk about like what like this current state that we have, right? And so this is kind of like all based upon me moving my my hosting my own personal blog inside my personal AWS account, and so the current state of that was, it was it, so this blog is basically a simple two tier web app, right? So it's a web service that's running um, that's running the blog software, which is Ghost. Um, so it's an open source blog application that was um, inspired by WordPress, and I think some of the the core WordPress developers left and. Did this Kickstarter to go build the you know the next generation blogging engine? So so Ghost is that is that web app Node.js web app? Um, it's fronted by an ALB, and the actual app is containerized and it's running under ECS. And for persistence, we're using MySQL um, in RDS. So so single RDS MySQL instance um, for the state, and then we can have multiple. Uh, container instances of the the Ghost service to that's fronted by the ALB for for handling these requests, and then with this again with the current state, everything is on public subnets. So the load balancer, the ECS cluster, and the RDS instance they're all on public subnets. And so we now went through this process of updating our VPC, so we now do have private subnets and a way to connect securely to those. Now we want to change this state to now move everything onto the private subnets. And so only the ALB will be public-facing. And everything else, we want to now move to the private subnets. And so that's what we'll talk about for the remainder of this. It's like, okay, what are the what are the practical steps? Like, how do we do that? What are our choices? What are the options here? And just what exactly do we need to do to, to achieve this? Great. And are we going to... G- I guess maybe those are some of the questions that we'll be asking ourselves, but it, I'm curious, are we going to keep the blog running throughout this process or, or are you going to take it down and then we'll bring it back up when it's on private subnets? So there is, um, from a web service standpoint, zero downtime to, to do this, right? We can do it in a way that there's just, there's no downtime there. Where it's going to get a little tricky is the database. Yeah. So we're going to have, we're, so we could come up with a solution that had no downtime um, with with database, but we're not going to do that today. So we're going to have a small amount of downtime um, as we move to a new RDS instance. 
Let's do it. Here we go. Yeah. So, so, so basically, like what this boils down to, it's there's there's two phases to do this migration, right? So one is we need to move our ECS cluster to private subnets. So that's the first phase, and then the second phase is going to be moving that RDS instance to private subnets, and then also just because we can, we're going to um, incre- we're going to enable encryption at rest for our RDS instance as well when we do that. So okay, those are the two phases. Like I said, the first phase zero downtime. The second second phase we're going to have a little bit of downtime. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing because this is starting to taste like security broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so yummy with the cheddar cheese sauce I'm gonna put on it, <laughs> right? So, yeah. How, so, how step by step are we gonna get, Chris? Like, are we opening up our web browser and typing in aws.amazon.com? Yeah, it's Is gonna be just... it'll it'll be a hybrid, right? We we don't want people to fall asleep, but also <laughs> want to kind of give enough detail so that hopefully after listening to this, you would be able to. Figure figure it out yourself, okay, and and actually be able to do it. So so we'll we'll try to keep it at that level. So yeah, so let's talk about this first phase. So the first phase is okay. We're, we want to move our ECS cluster to private subnets. So what are our options there? And I think you know broadly we have like two two choices. So we can either treat this as a, as a rolling update, or we can we can treat it as a blue green deployment update. Right. So, and the so the difference between these two, with a rolling deployment, you are updating the instances in your application in your in your architecture one at a time in place. Um, so you have a mixture as you go through this deployment period. Um, so you can imagine, like if you have like five five instances. One at a time, you're changing them and say, okay, this instance is now being changed. It's no longer on the public subnet, it's on the private subnet. So now we have four on the public subnet and one on the private. And we keep doing that lather, rinse, repeat until we're done. So the, the important thing to keep in mind here with, the, with this rolling deployment is that you have a mixture mm-hmm. as you're going through the deployment process. Mm-hmm. The blue-green is basically, I'm going to spin up an entirely separate set of resources with the new version um, and once I have that new set of resources up and running, then I'm going to now switch my application to use that. And then once that has been verified and everything's good, then I can go ahead and tear down the old one. Okay. All right. So, so we're going to talk about both approaches here and how you would do it. Pretty similar, um, but as we go through and talk about it, we can talk about the pros and cons of okay. you know, what you should do and just give you an overall feeling for what level of work is involved. Chris, um, do you happen to know off the top of your head why blue green is called blue green? You know, um, I don't. I mean, it's, I don't either. It's, you know, so, I, I someone was... someone shows it, right? Like, um, I mean, obviously, there's there's yeah. a reason why it's not called red. <laughs> you know, red green. Um, so I, I think. I mean, that was, is the thi- that's the picture that kind of comes to my mind is like you're trying to make your way towards green because green is good but I don't know why it's not yellow green or you know what what blue really means I, I just I don't know where that came from mm-hmm. maybe we'll uh, talk about it at some point mm-hmm. well I, th- I think both colors kind of indicate like they're safe they're good mm-hmm. right and then mm-hmm. and that's what a blue green deployment is like so you have your existing current state and that is good solid it's and it should have a you know a color that's associated with that kind of stableness um, yeah and then what you as you do a deployment, you want to have your your new system up and running that is also in a good state. So, green means 
go. Like we, we, we know that. So, so, I mean, I think, you know, like what color would we choose other than blue, right? (laughs) Definitely. We want green, but like, so brown, green, you know, or like, um, we, we know that red and yellow, orange, those are definitely not colors that we'd, we'd want to associate right, with something right, being right. good and stable, right? So there's probably not a lot of choices here um, for that, like aqua green, <laughs> cyan, ecru. Um, so we can surmise. Yes, yes, that'll work it, for now. It would be interesting to kind of like do the research to find out like when did this first enter the vernacular? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's been in there and I've I've heard it and I just have never bothered to look it up and it and it, it's not quite fully intuitive, but it it mm-hmm. is kind of it is kind yeah. of intuitive yeah. enough for me to not go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So let, let's let's walk through that rolling deployment then first. So um, okay. So again, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be updating our existing ECS cluster in place. Yep. And again, what we want to do is we want to move these these host EC2 instances from a public subnet to a private subnet. So how do we do that? So remember, with ECS, our EC2 host, a cluster, is backed by a launch configuration and an auto-scale group. Right. So those are the things that we have our, at, our, at our disposal to, to change. So what we'll do is we'll, you know, the first step is going to go in and we're going to create a new launch configuration um, based upon the existing one. And on this new launch configuration, we just want to make sure that we're now no longer assigning public IPs okay. to instances that are launched by this. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. So create this new launch configuration by, by copying the existing one um, and then making this change to say, hey, no longer assign public IPs. So that's the first first step. Then the next one mm-hmm. would be we now to go update our auto scale group. So when we update our auto scale group, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to your auto scale group specifies the networking, right? So you're going to specify what subnets to use for this auto scale group. So the existing yep. one will be using specifying public subnets. Yep. So we want to delete all those. And this is where we're going to add our private subnets. So we'll select our three private subnets that we created previously. Mm-hmm. And then we'll also update the auto scaling group to use the new launch configuration so that now we're not assigning public IPs. I mean, we could still assign public IPs, but they would just be useless. Yes. Just wasting our IP addresses and therefore yeah. our money. Well, and not only that, but also really confusing too. Yes. Right? Yes. So like someone looking at this configuration would be like, wait a minute, I thought these are private, but why do they have public IPs? Right? It just so you could do it, but it would be like That's my favorite kind of Amazon Web Services troubleshooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So now we have an updated we've updated our auto scale group. Now the next thing is basically just to do our rolling update. So to do that, all we need to do is just terminate the existing host EC2s one at a time. So again, if we had like five EC2s in our cluster, we can go pick one of those, use and just terminate it. Um, our favorite, whatever your favorite method is for terminating an EC2 instance. So that will shut down and go away, and the auto scale group will see that. Hey, I was my desired state was five machines, and now I only have four. Right. So I'm going to go spin up a new one. And when it spins up a new one, it's going to be using that new launch configuration. Right. Right. So, and it's, and the auto scale group again, we've updated it now to say put things on the private subnets. So the new machine that comes up, it won't have the public IP address assigned to it, and it'll come up onto the private subnets. 
And right. So now it's just lather, rinse, repeat. We just do this for the remaining EC2s um, that are in there. So just and this is not going to mess with our load balancer? Isn't our load balancer going to be like, oh, where'd they go? Where'd my machines go? Like, I would, or, or it's like, it's fine. It doesn't care. It just knows how to, wherever these services are, it can get to them. Right. So, you know, when you terminate the machine, um, it's going to now leave the membership set for the ALB. Um, okay. Because it's no longer healthy, right? Um, so instead of having five instances in our, in our um, membership set for the ALB, there'll be four. Okay. And then once a new one spins back up, once the auto scale group spins up the new one, because it's no longer at its desired size, and so it says, okay, I need to go create a new one. Once that one comes back up, it's now going to pass the health check, and it will now be added back to the... It will... Sorry. So the, when we get into ECS services, we will be talking more about the ALB and the, the health check. So th- there actually, there's, there's nothing to do with ALBs at this point, right? Because this is just our cluster EC2s. So this is not the actual ECS services themselves. So what happens here? So let's talk about like what happens with the existing ECS services. So the existing ECS services... Any services that were run, any containers that were running on that host EC2 that we terminated, they now go away. Mm -hmm. And ECS, the scheduler, will see that Mm -hmm. and it will now create new tasks on the other existing EC2s Mm -hmm. and bring those up, right? And then they will get inserted back into the membership set. So the, the ALB. Um, interaction is with ECS service. It's not directly with EC2 host because this is right. this is just our cluster of machines. Right, right. But I was just so the ECS service doesn't care when a new machine becomes available for it to put containers on. It doesn't care that the new machine is in a private subnet. There was nothing that we had to do to the ECS service to say uh, you can use this private subnet too. No, no. So I mean, you're, you're, uh, interesting. So the ECS is just backed by this this auto scale group and launch mm-hmm. configuration, right? So we're it's that is the connection that it has to like what machines are involved with this particular cluster. So they're okay, just, they're just now. Remember, there, there's really not there's not a lot of like real difference between public and private subnets other than their routing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, just like our, we're using multiple availability zones to begin with. Like this is just another; these are just other subnets and other, in, you know, and likewise in different availability zones. And they just have their networking's a little bit different, right? Their routing's different. So instead of having, you know, being having a, their route table having a direct um, route to an internet gateway, instead it has a, a, it doesn't have that, and it has a route to a to a NAT gateway. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's probably a little unintuitive, right? It's it's probably a little bit like, oh my goodness, I can just move these things. You know, I can change my auto scale group so that it it starts computers in a different subnet, and ECS doesn't care. ECS is just going to continue to um, be able to orchestrate containers into that into those machines on that different subnet. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the the only thing ECS cares about is that it can just talk to them. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, the, some base networking has to be there, right? Like your your ECS. If you spin yourself up into a, you know a new subnet, remember that there's an ECS agent that's on these EC2 machines 
that's mm-hmm. that's communicating to the ECS service, the the, the yep. global ECS service, right? So they they need to have internet access. They need to be able to talk to the internet um, to go talk to the ECS service. Um, uh, so, not internet access, but VPC networking access, right? No internet access because ECS service, the global ECS service, is not running inside your VPC. Uh. Right, so, <laughs> and le- so, like, and this is where where you start to get to things like VPC endpoints, um, and like, like, it's like S three, right, or it's like Lambda, like the mm-hmm. global. So the S three itself, like, if you want to make an S three call, like, it's not inside your VPC. You're actually going out over the public internet to talk to it, unless you do an S three endpoint, and then that keeps all the traffic inside the VPC. Right, right. And last week we talked about. Um, when we were setting up those private subnets, giving them in each their own internet gateway because the NAT gateway, so that they could talk out to the internet. Yes. Not so that they're reachable from the internet, but so they can talk out yes. to the internet. Right. Yes. Which is what so which is what we need here for like what ECS needs, right? So that the ECS agent code that's run on each one of those EC2s, it needs to be able to have internet access so it can go talk to the global ECS service. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, makes sense. So ho- hopefully that kind of like shines some some light on like what the process is. Um, another, just keep it in, as long as we have more at least two tasks for running for each one of our ECS services. When we do all this, there's going to be no downtime. Mm-hmm. So like again, the the underlying EC2 host will be terminated. So all tasks running on that EC2 host will will go away. Um, but as long as we're running more than one task for each one of those services, that means there's still a good running one on one of the other EC2 machines. And then again, the ECS scheduler noticed that, oh, you wanted two tasks for your, for your blog service, but now there's only one, so I need to spin up a new one. So it'll spin up a new task so that you are running two again now on the remaining four machines. And it's responsible for figuring out how to... Um basically balance the tasks across the machines. And I guess one thing that you would probably want to keep an eye on is if you were knocking out your EC2 instances and you see other ones spin up in the private subnet, but you weren't seeing any tasks migrate over to those instances on the private subnet, and all your tasks are kind of like clustering up on the one that's still in the public subnet, you wouldn't want to kill that one and you'd want to figure out why. I don't know why that might happen, but you should want to make sure not to. If all your tasks end up on one machine, at the, you know the last machine that you're going to kill, make sure not to kill it and figure out what's going wrong. You you made a mistake somewhere. Yeah, because ECS should be smart enough to send those tasks over to the other other instances, unless mm-hmm. it can't. Yeah, and it, it. I mean the the so the ECS scheduler, very very complex. Very complicated, lots of different strategies and options here. It's 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 not it's not a trivial problem of saying like, hey, I have this set of resources on which I can run task, and you know, given that I need to run a task, like where does it go? Um, and so, there's placement strategies. You have control over this. You can tell ECS what placement strategies to use. Um, so, do you want well, to do just, fin packing yeah. or do you want to do spread? Right. So it's like. By default, it's going to do like the reasonable thing, and you're not going to. It is going to do a spread, um, so it's going to do its best to schedule these things on different machines and different VPC and different um, on different subnets. Right. Again, we, we could we could spend a whole episode on this. Right, but I just thought of a of, of an obvious reason it could happen why all your tasks are sort of you know bunching up in one 
in one machine would be um, your auto scale group is sending them off to the public sub or the private subnets. So you change your auto scale group to say new machines go in these private subnets, and you forgot to put a NAT gateway on any of the private subnets. Um, ECS is going to realize that it can't put you know ECS is not going to be able to put tasks on those machines because. The agent can't say, "Hey, I'm here. I'm ready. I'm good to go." Yeah, in fact, you you, you won't even see the EC2 in your ECS cluster. We won't uh, even show right, up, right? Right, because the agent can't connect to the global ECS service okay. to register to register. So you wouldn't even see that. So you you would just you would see your see, number of machines going down, down, down. Yeah. So you would see an ECS. Your ECS cluster now only has four machines instead of five. In EC2 console, you'd see you'd have five EC2 instances now spun up. Mm-hmm. But again, there'd only be four in your cluster. Mm, and that's so interesting. That is, That'll tip you off. That's because yeah, that's because the ECS agent couldn't register with ECS because it doesn't have internet access. Mm-hmm. And there, that that error won't be in your ECS console because. ECS won't know about it. It didn't even get to that point. Yet. Yeah, exactly. Can't even talk to it. Yeah. yeah. So, so that would be a re- really tr- tricky thing to troubleshoot, right? Like, I don't see an error in ECS, so uh, ECS must be fine. But it's actually your auto scale group, or it's actually your subnet that's misconfigured. Like that. That's mm-hmm. tricky. That's tricky for sure. Yeah, and you know, I think I've seen this in the wild multiple times from mm-hmm. different teams mm-hmm. um, you know, know. making this mistake. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we even have a MobyCast episode a, about this. Yeah, like, it's kind of a common one. Yeah. So, um, you know, just keep it in the back of your mind. Like, if something like that happens, like, this is probably why. Cool. Yeah. Check your networking. <laughs> so, cool. So, that that is the rolling deployment, right? So, we that is really all we need to do to move from public to private, if we want to do this rolling deployment where we have this mix, and it kind of requires a bit more um, maybe hand-holding to kind of... I mean, you could script all this stuff, too, as well, if you want to get fancier. Um, but that's the general, um, the general flow. We cover a lot of information here on MobyCast, and if you've ever wanted to go back and remind yourself of something we talked about in a previous episode... It can be hard to search through our website and transcripts to find exactly what you're looking for. Well, now it's a lot easier. All you have to do is go to mobicast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up. We'll send you our weekly super detailed outline that we use to actually record the show. A lot of times, this outline contains more information than we get to during our hour on the air. So sign up and get weekly MobyCast cheat sheets to all of our episodes delivered right to your inbox. So let's talk a little bit then about the blue green deployment and you know how that works. So we we said like with blue green we're going we want to duplicate our solution with the new design and once we verify that that's up and up and running then we can just switch it over and then tear down the existing one. So so what we're going to do is we're going to create a new ECS cluster um, that will eventually replace the existing one. And so this is the the same process that we we talked about actually in the the Fargate episode series and also in the original ECS one, right? So we're just going to go into ECS, create a new cluster. We're going to choose the EC2 Linux and networking cluster template. We can go and specify our, you know, all the normal stuff that we do like instance type and options and our networking. We can um you know, definitely we'll create a security group for this um and, you know, we're going to, I mean, just going into a little bit of the details there on that security group, because these are the EC2 machines, they'll be accepting traffic from the ALB. Because it is ALB, we'll use dynamic 
routing, um, dynamic ports. So we just need to make sure that we allow the ephemeral range of ports for our custom inbound TCP rule that are only coming from the ALB. So this will just specify the security group of the ALB to be the source and use that ephemeral port range as the, the valid addresses. And then we can have a single other rule on there to allow inbound SSH, but only coming from within the VPC itself. Right. So those are so that's kind of like a minimal security group that still allows us to um, SSH into those machines if we want if we want to. Can you drum? Yeah. Say that again. Like you just kind of jumped up a level to sort of say what you just said in a in a more, you know, kind of digestible way, because you kind of walked through. This is what we're going to do these things with the ephemeral ports and we're going to do these things with, you know, allowing SSH in a certain place. But what's the kind of user requirement that this is this is meeting for this mm-hmm. security group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this this would just be an example of a minimal security group on the the ECS host EC2s, right? There's really only two things that we want kind of doing inbound connections to them. One is connections from the ALB yep. that are forwarding these requests that are coming in. Mm-hmm. And then the other one would be SSH. If we wanted to SSH into these machines, so we'll we'll lock down that first rule for um, requests coming in from the ALB. They're going to be coming in on the ephemeral port range, and we'll we'll lock down the source to be only allow from the ALB security group. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty pretty tight and controlled. And then we'll also have the rule for SSH that um, will only allow source sources coming from inside the VPC. So that means that we would have to be on a VPN connection before we could got it, in order got to, it. to pass that rule, right? So Okay. So pretty so pretty locked down. Yep. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um and then as we create our cluster two, we're gonna notice a new option here for container insights. Um and so this is much more um, interesting CloudWatch monitoring of ECS services and task and just gives you a lot more insight into what's going on um, mm-hmm. with your system. It's mm-hmm. going to cost you a little bit more, right? In the CloudWatch metrics, so it's um, just something to keep in mind. There, it's not free, <laughs> but it's also not you know terribly expensive either. But this is this is where you could enable it. So just something to be aware of. If you want ECS Container Insights, you can't enable it for an existing cluster. Um, you can only do it when you create the cluster. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. And terrible, yeah, and probably already not true anymore, right? Like probably there's a like yeah. AWS tweet or something as we speak that says now you can enable Cl- CloudWatch Container Insights on your running clusters. Yeah, you, who knows? We we are in announcement season yeah. right now as we lead up to. Um, well, like we can't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we just we just we just did a break in the the time space continuum. Yes, right? yes, we did. Um, but yes, but who knows? By the time you hear this, it could be it could be different. Cool. So so we have our new ECS cluster, um, and after that, that will spin up, right? So we'll, these machines are going to come um, spin up. We specified our private subnets um, in the networking when we created that cluster, so that's good. But we don't have the ability to not uh, disable public IP address assignments to that. So it's going to follow whatever your default, whatever the default is for your VPC. So if we want to, we can go in and like we did before, we could create a new launch configuration where we could uh, change that um, and basically say, don't assign the public IP addresses. And then we can update the auto scaling group and, and do what we 
did what we did before. So you can do that, or you can also, like I said, just make sure that for your set the rule on the, the VPC um, to make that the, the default as well. So so that's a VPC level rule where you can decide new new EC2s get a public IP address by default or not? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it kind of like, hey, everyone, you should probably set the default to not what it normally is? But it's it, like a good security best practice is to go change the default. Is that what I'm hearing? Kind of? It's complicated, yeah, because right? it just depends on like what your, you know, what your use cases are, what like how yeah. you're creating things in your VPC, and whether or not that's you know, do you want to change that default? So it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, I guess I get people it. have to be on the same page, right? Like it's it's just got to be something that that folks are aware of. Otherwise, it leads to like confusion. Right, right, and it's it makes sense that the default would be to make public machines because. You know, AWS would would have a lot of people complaining. You know, that are first time mm-hmm. users. If all of a sudden mm-hmm. they were making networks and they couldn't get get to any, you know, I'm going to make an EC2 and I'm going to check out AWS. Wow, how do you even get to mm-hmm. it? Right. Oh well, let me tell you about NAT gateways or Internet gateways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I only wanted to make a machine. I just wanted to test drive AWS. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and this is why the default knackles, you know, allow all traffic uh-huh. instead of denying all traffic. Uh huh. Interesting. So, yeah. Unless you create a new knackle, and then the default is that it blocks everything. Right. But, yeah. So, so we have our new cluster now, um, and it's set up the way that we those those EC twos are, are are set up the way we want, and then then the next step would be to create a new ECS service on that new cluster, and we can use our existing task definition. Yep. For the for the existing one, too bad you can't just like clone the service, right? Like make a new service based on this other service. Yeah, I mean that's not uh, you know we're on a whole different cluster too, mm-hmm. so it's um, yeah. Um, but you could probably, I mean, you could. There's who knows? Maybe there's an open source project out there, some scripting that will kind of do that for you. It's actually not too terribly difficult to do, right? To right. Get the service description and. Use that to go create a create a new service. It's it's probably pretty pretty uh, easy to do yourself, and, and if if you wanted to, if you were doing this a lot, right? Like you might right. decide it was worth it was worth the effort to do that. Well, and I just also I also think that it's sort of like a, kind of a typical user experience thing as software creators. Like whenever you have a you a UI where people have to do a lot of work, and you. Then have a storage place where those that work gets saved. Um, if people want to go create a new thing that's going to take work, uh, it's a really nice feature to say, "Hey, do you want to base your new work on something you've already done work on?" It's just like a mm-hmm. classic u- user experience, good thing to do. K yeah. AWS. <laughs> well, they they did it for launch configurations, right? So right. We can. So we can someone we can be, we can knows about this classic yeah. thing. Yes. Yes. Cool. So so once we have our, our new service, it's gonna um, then start running our task. Once we can verify, so we verify that our tasks are up and running and healthy. And at that point, we can now update our load balancer to now forward traffic to the new target group um, for the ECS service. So this is now now we're going from. The, the blue to green switch, right? And it really is just updating the ALB to say instead of routing to this target group, go to this other target group. So quick and easy change uh, on the ALB. 
And at that point, we now are free to delete our original ECS cluster. Um, and so to do that, we can just go in and update the service, say we want zero task. Um, we can then kill any running task if we want to, to speed that up. And at that point, we can delete the cluster. Um, so a gotcha that you might run into here is that CloudFormation. So ECS, when it, when it creates a cluster, it's actually using CloudFormation behind the scenes, mm-hmm. a CloudFormation stack, right, to, to build out all the resources that it needs because it's building out you know, things like a launch configuration and an auto-scale group, and mm-hmm. it's doing some security group um, creations and, and whatnot. So as part of when you go and delete the cluster, it's now basically doing a CloudFormation stack delete. Mm-hmm. And... This is where typically, I know me personally, I always run into issues where the stack delete's going to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's usually because there's circular dependencies mm-hmm. between security groups. So when, you, mm-hmm. so when you lock down your security groups where you're saying, oh, the source is, has to be only from the security group used by the ELB, ALB, and then like we have a, you know, allowing maybe um, the database instance security group only allows traffic from the ECS security group. And so you start getting like these circular dependencies and mm-hmm. CloudFormation gets like, hey, it gets confused and mm-hmm. it just doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if that happens to you, the solution is you just manually remove those rules in the security groups that are referring to those circular dependencies. And once that happens, then you can go and delete the cluster and then then CloudFormation will be able to proceed and, and tear down the stack for you. Makes sense. Yeah. So now we have our, we, we've, we've maneuvered our ECS host from, private, uh, from public subnets to private subnets. We went through the two broad approaches there, the rolling and the blue-green style. And so now the last thing to, that remains is we need to move that RDS instance um, that's on public subnets over to the two private subnets. And you know, secretly, we also just totally taught you how to do a migration, um, even though it was under the guise of I'm going to move stuff from private public subnets to private subnets. It's also like, hey, you can use this rolling or blue green deployment strategy for any other kind of reason that you might want to move off of a cluster. Maybe you want to. Change all your instance sizes. Maybe you want to, you know, tons of other reasons you might want to do this. Yeah. See, it's not just security broccoli that we <laughs> um, that we sneak in there. Uh, <laughs> there's there's other vegetables. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So let's. So so we need to get this. So this RDS instance is currently on on public subnet. Let's move it to a private one. So what do we need to do? Um, so the first thing is we are going to create a new RDS subnet group. And so RDS uses subnet groups as um, ways of, of informing it where these database instances should be placed. And so we're going to create this new subnet group, and that subnet group will contain the three private subnets that we have mm-hmm. for our VPC. Got right? it, got so, it. So we have so pretty, pretty easy, um, uh, pretty straightforward. Um, and then we'll also want to create a new security group for the instance. And so for like for me, um, I wanted to just lock this down to basically only allow, this is MySQL, so only allow the MySQL port traffic, so 3306, and the source for that um, be the security group for my ECS machines. So basically, I locked it down so that the only thing that can connect to that RDS instance it has to originate from an ECS host machine. 
and that's it. Cool. I could act, I could actually add another rule if I wanted to, if I wanted to actually connect to my database directly from like my favorite database tool, whether it be like, don't do it. Uh, Navica- Navicat. Well, I mean, Nav- I mean, Navicat or whatnot. You, so you can say like, oh, I want this over VPN. I, I can require it be over VPN, and then I would open it up and say, okay, any VPN, any VPC traffic could connect to it over port 3306. Right, and then you could just fix production issues right on the database. Just get in there and do it. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> That's a bad idea, not- by the way. That was sarcasm. Like, don't, don't. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we were joking. Like, um, for the reinvent, um, they this year they made the keynotes you had to reserve to get in. And this is a, a new thing. Like, they've never had reservations for keynotes before. Oh, yeah. And this year they were saying, like, hey, not only is like, can you reserve, but you have to reserve. And if you don't reserve for the keynotes, then you're not going to be able to go to those sessions. So, and they said, you know, we're going to do this in waves. We're going to, you know, at, at this time on this date, is where we're going to open it up. We'll change the catalog so that now you can go reserve these keynotes, and then they'll be available for you know they'll be available for a certain amount of time, and then they won't be available, right? And then we'll open up another window at some some later point in time. And so this whole it just felt like the whole the whole catalog the the reinvent session catalog was not geared up for this kind of functionality. <laughs> no, it and, certainly wasn't. And they were kind of like hacking it into it. So it was supposed to like start in like 8 a.m. Pacific time is when they were going to allow you to reserve for the keynotes. And so, of course, everyone gets on, you know, a few minutes before and hit refresh and the keynotes aren't showing up and 8 o'clock comes by, still no keynotes, keep refreshing, refreshing, 8.02, 8.03, 8.04 a.m., <laughs> still nothing, refresh, refresh. You can just imagine, like, there's tons of people refreshing, mm-hmm. like, just hammering the, the, the servers. And then you can also imagine over in AWS land, like, there's some guy, some person sitting at a keyboard, like, with, with like, you know, a... Um, a uh, SQL connection up right. to the database, right? And type it's in saying there's like, a syntax error in my SQL. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, running like a manual command, right? To, <laughs> to like insert into catalog, you know, keynote. Like so, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And and so you you got people standing around the person. Oh know, yeah, watching, fully, fully. Watching, watching it happen, and then you know, so it's it took a few seven. extra minutes. Yeah, <laughs> it took Is a few extra minutes. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, whew, okay, it worked, you know. Yeah. And then you see something like, okay, seven rows affected, yay. That, I mean, that was a little side trip. Like, I've certainly been in a production database trying to fix, you know, live data that's broken before, and it's an ugly thing to have to do. It's always better to try to write at least a well-tested script, or some, you know, if you're actually typing SQL into a console on production, just really, you just got to ask yourself what you're doing. It's not a mm-hmm. good idea. Mm-hmm. Indeed, there, there's um, the risk is is so so high, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things too. It's like everyone gets bit, I think, at some point in their career. Yep. And I remember once, fifteen years ago, where um, I was doing some update to the database and um, hit you know F five um, to commit it and. That horrible sinking feeling when I saw the message two hundred thousand rows affected, <laughs> and so I was doing like an update statement, and I forgot the where clause. Oh my god! So basically, and it was it was like my order tracking system, and so it's like all orders tracking just now got blown away. Uh. 
And so it was like, okay, spend the next <laughs> next six hours um, testing my backup restore process <laughs> and whether or not that was functioning. Yep. And and you know, it's just not a fun time. Right. So you learn you learn these things the hard ways for sure. Yeah. I forgot where we even were because how did this right. even come up? So we, so yeah, so so we're 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 talking about um, moving our RDS instance to private subnets. Mm-hmm. We're in the preparation phase, if you will. So we we've created our RDS subnet group yep. that is using the, the private subnets, and then we also have created a security group yep. for our RDS instance. And so we've locked that down to have a single inbound rule got for it. port three three zero six to yep. only come from our ECS instances. Got it. Got it. And not from anywhere else, so that we can't connect to it, mm-hmm. like we just talked about, and issue that that update. Claw without the work. Yes, there we are. Yes. All right. So we've done the preparation. Now what we'll do is we'll create a snapshot of the existing database. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something really easy to do and inside the RDS console or through the CLI. Once we have a snapshot, let's we're going to go ahead and um, let's enable encryption at rest for this for our RDS instance just because just because we can and it's available. So to do that. Um, and by the way, this is the same process you would use if you had an existing RDS instance and you wanted to apply encryption at rest to uh-huh. it. So basically the formula is create a snapshot of the existing database, then you create a copy of the sna- snapshot, and when you create the copy of the snapshot, you'll then have the option to enable encryption. Mm-hmm. And so you can use KMS to encryption, so just specify what KMS master key or create a KMS master key if you don't already have one. Um, use that for the encryption, mm-hmm. and then now you can restore the. Now you have an encrypted snapshot, and now you restore that snapshot to a new DB instance. Okay, and so, so we'll so we'll do that. So we'll create a in the in a snapshots area of RDS. We can go and choose to restore snapshot, and when we do that, it's going to ask us what kind of instance we want. So we can choose our instance type. We um, want to make sure that we. Make sure that public accessibility option is set to no, yes. right? Because we don't want this to be public. Um, and then just make sure we're specifying the correct VPC, the subnet group, and the security group that we set up in the in previously. And so once we've done that, we now have a new database instance that's up and running um, that is now on the private subnets and now has encryption at rest. So maybe if um, you know something to point out, maybe. Everyone has kind of realized is like this is kind of assuming this perfect world where like no new updates are coming in yes. to the existing database, yeah. right? So, luckily, I mean for me, it's it's blog, <laughs> so I, I I don't have this issue, right? Right. Because um, I I know I'm not going to go publish any new blog entries um, while I'm doing this. So obviously, it gets you have to do some other. Um, it gets more complicated, right? If you actually did have like a system that's that is up and running. That is doing updates. You know, do you? You know, what do you do? Do you um, kind of go into maintenance mode so that you disable all writes while you make the snapshot and copy, and then build up a new database, or do you have to do some sort of, um, you know, more of a zero downtime deployment? You know, how do you take care of that? And that's you know even more complicated. Um, but we'll leave that as an exercise to the reader or for a future episode of MobyCast. Okay. So, so we have this new database instance up and running now. And so the last thing that we need to do is we just need to update our application to use that. And so, and this whole process here, like this is where there's like from the creating the snapshot to updating the application to use the new database, like that's all times where, you know, your, your, your application, you get, you know, there's going to be some downtime. There's going to be some 
disruption to it because mm-hmm. um, you can't have writes going on to your database while while you're with this particular um, simpler so simpler approach to it. So so for me um, to point my my blog application to the new database instance, that's just I, so it's a new database endpoint, um, and so I just need to change the configuration for that particular service to use the new endpoint and the way that that the configuration works for for ghost is then it just needs to be restarted so um ecs has a a nice option called um, when you go and update an ecs service you can do a force new deployment and it's just a checkbox there so this means that i can don't need to do a new task definition i don't really need to do anything i can just go and update ecs service check the force new deployment and what that will do is that will just basically terminate each existing container mm-hmm. um, for that service and then spin up a new one. And so when it spins up, it's going to get the new configuration file, read the, the configuration change, and now it's going to connect to the new RDS instance. Um, and at that point, I'm now free to delete the original RDS instance. And we're now done. Now everything is now on private subnets, except for the, the public-facing ALB. Um, and everything else is protected. And we can now use VPN um, to connect to the machines if we have to. Um, and we are pretty pretty locked down. Cool. Very cool. You know, the, this whole switching out of the database reminded me of another episode we did where we talked about how Aurora serverless works. And it just reminded me of like the, the you know, really cool engineering that they did to be able to swap out a database um, without having to update your ECS configuration or any kind of configuration that talks to that database by putting a kind of a proxy between the database and the world and then hot swapping out databases underneath. Um, just reminded me of that episode. Uh, if you're new to Mobicast, you could go listen to that and check it out and, and it'll remind you of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool. We did it. We moved it over. Yes. Yeah. So ho- hopefully now you feel like a, a very much a VPC ninja. Um, at the very least, you know, understanding public versus private subnets and just some of the, the, the new complications that arise from that with VPNs and then just the practicality of like how do you actually migrate these things um, that are like currently exist. Yep, I definitely do. I've, I've, there's so much, like, like we were talking about in the last episode, there's so much about networking that is kind of new for software developers to have to contend with in, their, in our day-to-day jobs that we used to sort of leave to another team um, or used to be just kind of static. Uh, that's going to get set up in the data center. Once it's set up, you never think about it again. And now all of a sudden it's very much a dynamic part of your day-to-day life. Where are machines? Are they coming and going? What are their IP addresses? How are they getting assigned? What kind of subnets are set up? Are they available to the internet or not? How are routing tables? You know, how do they work? And and do I need to adjust them to be able to talk? You know, to the internet. All all that cool stuff is stuff we didn't. I, you know, I didn't really have to spend a lot of time on that between when I started doing software stuff in '99 and and really all the way up to probably around 2010 or so. I didn't think about it too much. 2012 really is. 2012 and on is really when AWS has picked up more than ever. So yeah, yep, yep. The with the with the cloud, the advent of the cloud, like networking becomes something that we need to just be more involved with and, and cognizant of. So, in addition to security broccoli, um, we will also be um, talking about networking cauliflower. I think. <laughs> yes, um, and this will be just you know an ongoing uh, ongoing thing. 
Very cool. Well, thanks for the yeah for the detailed explanations and the education, Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, John. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm. Bye. Thanks for being aboard with us on this week's episode of MobyCast. Also, thanks to our producer, Roy England, and I'm our announcer, Stevie Rose. Come talk to us on MobyCast.fm or on Reddit at r slash MobyCast. <laughs>